Hi, welcome to the IFCA International Convention Seminar for the 2020 Convention. Um, I'm going to be talking about the question of corporate vision and how to become a thriving church. Now, this is really an important concept uh, for us to consider because uh, so many churches have opportunities for um, their uh, ministries in their town. They do, they do some things and they're not doing other things. And uh, before long, they kind of just... Uh, uh, start having trouble and sometimes they just flatline and then they go down and uh, what this is going to be all about is how to uh, come up with this uh, corporate vision and then most importantly I'm going to spend more time talking about how to implement that vision how to become a thriving church so um, I'd like to begin uh, with uh, this uh, true uh, account from history Christopher Columbus uh, some of you uh, are uh, perhaps wondering, well, how is he uh, relevant? Well, um, he went to Queen Isabella in Spain. He received uh, money for an expedition to find a passage to China. So he went off to China, and instead he found the Americas. He, he looked around, and then he went back, and he reported to Queen Isabella. And uh, uh, his leadership was this. When he left, he didn't really know where he was going. And when he got there, he didn't know where he was. And then when he went back, he didn't know where he went. And so uh, that's not a good kind of leadership style. Um, and yet, I know there are pastors, there are churches that seem to have that kind of style. So uh, church pastors and leaders uh, without, leader, without vision... Um, they become overwhelmed by events and their own inabilities. And uh, you see they start to drift along, just like this image here of this uh, ship, that little tiny boat, actually, that's, that's just floating out there and uh, makes a very beautiful picture. But it's a sad portrait if that's your ministry. Uh, drifting along Sunday to Sunday with no clear vision or action plan for the future and uh, no strategy on how to accomplish clearly defined goals and no steps to act purposefully. Um, and uh, um, I can remember uh, talking to one of my friends years ago. He, was, uh, he and I were talking about this very thing, about coming up with purposeful uh, design for ministry and trying to accomplish some things. And he shared it with his dad who'd been in ministry for over 40 years. And uh, this man told me it was really sad talking to my dad because I think he's a good preacher. He's a good teacher. But when we talked about these things, he said, I've, I've never tried to accomplish anything other than just write sermons. And you think about that. I think there's a whole part of ministry that was missing. And uh, so the result in that kind of ministry where all you do is just, if only preaching sermons, only teaching the Word of God, uh, you'll accomplish little. Oh, you will see things happen in lives of people, but you need other kinds of, of an emphasis and a vision. Uh, you need to preach for sure. But there are things that you need to do in your ministry um, that will help to bring a thriving church. So preaching and the things we're going to be talking about today. So that's a little bit about leadership without vision. They drift along. And they accomplish very little. Hopefully that's not you in your ministry. 
Well, leadership with vision. Um, and the idea is the leader is someone who's able uh, to see farther and more clearly than those you lead. And uh, that is so important. Um, you can see farther. You can even see maybe around the corners. Um, and you can see farther and more clearly than the people you're leading. And that's what a leader does. That's what a leader is. Um, the leader um, also has the ability uh, for um, uh, influence. Influence to see the goal, to say it's worthy, it can be reached. Let's pursue it together. See, these two things have to be combined. Vision and influence. So let's go back to vision. Um, the idea of, of trying to see farther and more clearly than those you lead. Maybe you're saying, I really have trouble with that. And I always find it to be very, very useful just to go on the internet and look at some of the websites of churches that you know that are really doing some great things. And take a look and see what they're doing. And even borrow some of that. Now, I, I spent a lot of time in my life looking at other churches, studying other churches, Back before the internet, before you could go on the web, I would literally go and drive, take our pastoral staff with me, and we'd go visit some of the churches that I thought were really doing a good job. And uh, I'd call the pastor ahead, like on a Tuesday, and we'd arrange his pastoral staff and our staff to meet, and they would share what they did. And, and then we just had a great opportunity for us to, to capture some vision, renewed vision. Say, you know, that was really a good idea what we saw in that church over there. So if you're having trouble with this, I suggest go ahead on the internet and, and borrow some vision. Um, you know, tweak this or that, or say, I like how they worded that, but I think this is better, and, and I like it, uh, this church is over here, and, and start collecting ideas. Now, some of the really uh, good pastors I know, uh, they've told me, um, you know, I, I've borrowed a lot from other churches that had really good ideas. So uh, maybe you're having trouble coming up with even vision, what you'd like, uh, what you'd like to see the church to do, some of the things you think that would work for you. Well, feel free to borrow. Feel free to borrow some of the ideas. And uh, um, that's no different than the day that I put all our guys and our pastoral staff and we went off into uh, visit other churches and would talk to their pastors, go to their websites, visit them through cyberspace. Well, um, so you get the vision. Now, remember I said, I've already shown you this slide, how it works together. The idea is influence, because this is really a sad thing for me to say. But there are some churches, you go on their website, where you see their promotional materials, and you say, wow, this church really has it together. And then you actually visit them. And the truth is, they, they're, not, they're not accomplishing their vision. Something's missing. And what I would say is missing is right here. The idea of influence. Um, where you say, there, look, there's the goal. See it? You can see. Here's the goal. And then secondly, you say, it's, it's worthy. This is something that's worthy for us to accomplish. This goal is worthwhile for us to pursue. And then third, you say, you know, it's, it's a goal we can reach. We can reach it. 
And the way you reach it is by saying, let's all pursue this together. And so um, this kind of uh, leadership is, uh, is not just on a website where you see a whole lot of material and a whole lot of really wonderful things that they're really not accomplishing. And so um, it's vision plus influence. And when you have vision and influence, um, you're looking ahead to see where you're going to travel. And then, uh, since we're going to continue with this nautical theme, um, you get a crew together. And they start working together, just like this crew is working. And um, they are uh, hoisting the sail and getting ready, prepared to sail off into the ocean. And so, um, that's really a, a good portrait of what a pastor is to do to see something of value for his church to be doing, and then encourage the people, uh, saying, look at the goal. It's, it's something that's worthwhile. And, and we can reach this. We can do this. And fourthly, we can do it if we pursue together, if we all work together. And so that's what you need to do. You need vision plus influence if you want church to be thriving. So, let's take a little bit uh, longer look at uh, this question. Is a pastor really supposed to be a visionary leader? Um, some say, well, you know, all you are is just the shepherd of the souls that God has entrusted to you. First thing I would say, if you're going to look at that metaphor, is you would see the shepherd, while the shepherd is leading the flock somewhere, the flock is following and the shepherd is leading them to a good place for food and a good place for them and a safe place. That's what a pastor does. That's what a shepherd does. He leads as well as feeds by teaching the Word of God as well as guards, guarding the flock. But uh, I'm not talking today about preaching. That's crucial. And I hope you're working and developing on your uh, preaching ability. But... Uh, there's more to being a pastor than just preaching. And that's what I'm talking about. And so uh, let's take a look at a really interesting Greek noun. I think uh, this is a, a very interesting one. It's found in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, that uh, a spiritual gifts list there. On the top, you see it in English. On the bottom, there it is in Greek. On top, it says, And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, then helps, and here's the word I wanted us to look at. This is the ESV where it translates it administrations. It's a plural noun, and there you see it, I have highlighted uh, right here in brown, uh, kubernesis. Um, it literally means it's one who steers or pilots a ship. It's used this way in Acts 27.11 where it says the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. That was in the account of the shipwreck um, and Paul at the beginning was, was sharing with them uh, what needed to be done and at first they were listening and more persuaded by the pilot, the kubernesis, the one who steers or pilots a ship. And so it's one uh, who keeps a ship and used in uh, 1 Corinthians 12.28 uh, 
Um, it's one of those spiritual gifts that is uh, used here. Um, Kubernetes means uh, one who keeps a ship, a church, on course to its proper destination. And so uh, uh, this is so crucial uh, for us to take a look at this word and understand its implication for us in our ministries today. Um, I, I do know, I do believe this is a spiritual gift, and some of us are more gifted than others, and if this isn't one of your spiritual gifts, you still have to have this kind of notion because you are a shepherd and you are leading the flock. So there are elements of this, even if it's not your spiritual gift, even if Kubernetes is not what would be your spiritual gift, you need to be able to exercise some kind of uh, visionary leadership. You need to steer or pilot a ship. And uh, I've kind of elaborated on this a little bit. Now, one who keeps a, a church on course to its proper destination, involved in planning, in organizing, in leading, and monitoring to achieve defined goals in a local church. So uh, um, hopefully you downloaded the uh, documents that um, are accompanying my lecture because now I want to uh, shift from information on the screen to uh, uh, this particular uh, document, which is the four aspects of church administration right here. Planning, organizing, leading, and monitoring. And so um, I have that document here. I call it the four aspects of church administration. First, planning. And it begins, I want you to see, with Bible teaching. So I think that's vital, and, and I'm not at all minimizing, in fact, I teach right here in this seminary, at Shepherd's Theological Seminary, I teach expository preaching class. Preaching is vital, it's important. But uh, um, when it comes to planning, it's the first thing you're doing. You're teaching the Bible, you're preparing everyone. What does God want churches to do? Maybe you need to preach through 1 Timothy. Maybe you need to preach through um, Acts chapter 20, Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. Maybe you need to preach through Titus. Maybe you need to preach through other kinds of uh, passages where uh, you can definitely see. Even the book of Nehemiah, what a great leader he was. And uh, um, just opportunities for us to see how you accomplish something. Usually we pastors only preach Nehemiah uh, when it's a, a building program. Hey, you could preach that uh, right now in your church and they would be uh, benefited uh, by uh, this because it's part of the planning process. Because you're laying a biblical foundation, Bible teaching, preparing everyone. What does God want churches to do? Maybe you preach through Acts chapter 2, uh, verse uh, 42 and following, or even the whole book of Acts. But you're preaching, laying the foundation for people so that when you start talking strategically, you can reference what, you're, what you have been preaching. So that's the first step in planning. Secondly, establish your church's core values, philosophy of ministry. Hopefully you've been developing that already. Um, I'm, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. My assumption is you know uh, core values. Maybe you've never put them down on paper. Uh, that's where you would be really helped. Go look at some of the churches that uh, uh, you know and respect, pastors, and take a look at what they say. Uh, talk 
uh, to other guys in the IFCA. Take a look at the IFCA Healthy Churches Initiative and take a look at the vital signs of healthy churches. Um, so there are all kinds of uh, opportunities for you to start gathering in information. Core values, philosophy of ministry. You need to establish that. And uh, if you're new in your church, um, don't start wholesale changes. Uh, don't come in with an action plan and say, Here, here's what we're going to do. Um, churches are a lot like horses. They startle easily. And if you start pushing them too hard, you dig the heels in, horses are going to start bucking. Or horses are going to run away from you and they're going to stay away from you. They'll be in the other side of the meadow every time they see you coming because you scare them. So you don't want to scare the people. You want to gain their trust. You want to take time, be deliberate, but uh, what you want to do is uh, to begin establishing uh, the, the foundation, preaching in certain ways, in a certain way, a certain manner, about certain topics, laying a foundation. And then uh, you want to be able to, uh, on your own, start talking among the leadership, even developing with them core values for the church, philosophy of ministry. My assumption is many of our churches have already done that. So I'm going to keep moving ahead. Um, you start to become a little more specific uh, with the vision crafting. You say, what is our purpose as a church? And talk with your leaders. Uh, spend some time, uh, maybe in a leadership retreat, or just talking with them. Uh, not about the problems, or don't talk with them about um, the issues uh, that uh, uh, so often uh, pull a church down. Um, you do need to deal with problems, but... Um, start lifting the leadership up in their, in their understanding of roles and responsibilities. And with elders um, especially, um, you talk to them about what's our purpose as a church. And take a look at Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 42. Um, see things like, hey, what we're all about is we're all about um, worship and instruction and fellowship and evangelism. Um, or something like that. Say, these are our core values. These are what we, these are what's are going to drive our ministry. And then you start in your plans to, uh, number four, assess the needs and define reality. Um, all of this uh, coming under this whole idea of planning. You're still just planning. Um, you begin the, the strategic planning with some long-term goals, objectives, some short-term goals. Make these goals lofty and worthy goals. Um, when you're talking to your people. But um, you are uh, wanting to be involved in uh, ministry planning with them. First step. Second step is now you start to work on organizing. Recruit a team. I'll talk more about that in a few minutes. Recruit a team and determine roles. Secondly, who does what? And uh, third, when does this need to get done? And then fourth, what financial resources are available or needed um, for budgeting? Fifth, uh, begin strategic implementation. Uh, establish a culture where you get things done. Have people understand that, that you aren't just sitting back. I've talked to a lot of church folks, and they frequently think uh, that their pastor may not be working um, hard enough. And, and I'm not, I can't judge how hard you're working. I, can't, I could encourage you to work smart 
and try to accomplish some things. Um, it says, as I wrote down here, establish a culture of getting things done. Um, even if it's small things, um, get that nursery uh, kind of uh, painted. You can, you can help get that project done. There are other things that can be done. Small things. Uh, so people say, hey, there are things happening around here. Um, establish a culture of executing a plan. Um, too many guys leave their plans, action plans, on the table or on a website, and then they kind of um, say to their people, well, you should do this. Well, I don't, I don't agree with that. You should lead them and help establish um, a culture of getting things done. I can remember um, in our church in Indiana, uh, people uh, kept telling me how they just thought, when they looked up at the front uh, towards the... Uh, from their pew towards the pastor. Behind the pastor, there's this, at one time, it was very beautiful, rich uh, paneling, uh, very dark wood, and it looked good, but um, the people thought it was, uh, it made the church feel dark. Um, and uh, because you'd sit down, and even things around you were okay, but up front, as they looked at the pastor, it just seemed to be really a dark kind of a, a setting. By dark, I mean light. Lighting was, was just not very good. So I came up with, uh, a, I talked to some of the deacons, guys who were the kind of guys who like to get stuff done. I said, hey, what do you think is behind this paneling? And they said, well, uh, we know there's some sheetrock back there. I said, what if we did this? What if we pulled the paneling off? And then we had one of our guys who was a, uh, a drywaller. If he could come in and he could mud it, get it all sanded and prepared, and then we could get guys in and have a painting party. And we could paint it. This is quite, quite a, uh, a sizable wall, um, a white wall, or I mean a dark wall that was uh, about uh, 16 feet tall. So I think four by eight sheets so of plywood, beautiful, not plywood, but paneling set on top so eight and eight 16 feet tall and like 24 feet wide and so on a Monday we had some guys come in and I was there with them and we were pulling off the panels and because I was there I'm not really good at this stuff but I can rip stuff off with the best of them so I was pulling paneling off and it was making the guys excited to see me there and now we were laughing and goofing around and then we got all the paneling off and then the guy came in uh, who was our sheet rocker and uh, he, he uh, covered up all the holes, all the nail holes and then he sanded them down and he did a second coat, sanded them down, it was all prepped so by Thursday then we got a prime, it all primed and we painted it on Friday one coat and Saturday a second coat and in between Sundays we did all this and when they came in people went, oh that was so amazing and they, it was so inspiring to our people because we got it done. We got it done quickly. The guys enjoyed it. We had about uh, 15 guys get involved at one point or another. Um, and uh, we established the idea of we were implementing a plan. We were establishing a culture of getting things done. It was a simple task that was done and we did it quickly. And that helped people to feel like Something was happening here, and uh, 
And it started to spread throughout the ministry. So you begin a strategic implementation and you establish the, the culture in the church. We're going to execute the plans that we have around here. When you're in a meeting uh, to implement a plan, you never finish a meeting without clarifying what the follow-through is going to be. You don't end a meeting. I've been in a lot of meetings where lots of talk and then we just leave. What's the action? What are we going to do? Um, so whenever I'm in charge of a meeting, right at the end, like the last five minutes, I'll say, okay, here's what we've discussed. Even when I was, when I was pastoring. Here's what we've discussed. And uh, um, by the next time we meet, uh, this and this needs to be done. And so uh, will you take care of that, uh, Steve? We take care of this, Ken. And uh, um, we, we talk about who's in charge, and, and then it's very clear. We have a, we've, we've discussed things, and we have um, an action, at least action items, and we've never left a meeting where uh, people said, um, we don't know what's going on, or we don't know what's the next step. Well, the next step is Steve's going to do this, and Ken's going to do this, and we meet in a month, so they're going to handle this. And then I talk with them in that month and all that. I really like this quote that you see here in this document. A vision without execution is hallucination. Um, you're, just, you're just delusion. You're deluded. You have, you're delusional. You can't get the thing done because you're just talking about hypotheticals. You're, you're all about plans and vision that you never pull off. That's not good. So it's, it's about planning and organizing and then leading. Leading where you will um, motivate people. You motivate them. Um, the, on that project where we were uh, repainting that front wall in the uh, sanctuary in our church, um, it was pretty simple. I just said, hey, can you show up? I'm going to be there uh, tomorrow at this time. And uh, I'm going to start... Actually, I, I talked about it on Sunday. I said, hey, tomorrow we're going to pull all, the, all the, the, the paneling off at this time. I don't remember the time. I said, I'm going to be here. I'll be in my work clothes. And I'd like to see you here. I know that we've already had three guys are going to volunteer. All the rest of you are, are welcome to come. So we had... It was a lot of fun and guys had a good time. Sometimes simple motivation is just... Hey, I'll be there. I'm going to do this. Could you come help? That motivates people, especially if they uh, trust you and they like you and they want to get behind your leadership. Um, so um, I didn't pull the, the we didn't pull the paneling off in the first uh, half a year I was there. Um, I arrived. I think we pulled the panel off the next summer. So it was a year later. So it took time. I was preaching. I was teaching, I was gaining their trust. Uh, people were nervous about me at first. They always are, new leader. Um, and um, I didn't do anything new, I didn't do anything wild. Uh, just gaining their trust. And one of the first big things we did was we did that front wall project. It wasn't hard to accomplish and it made a big difference in the way things looked. And people started saying, hey, this is, this is good. So motivate people, sometimes just by saying, I'll be there, hope to see you. Secondly, you manage their activities. 
like when I would say at the end of a meeting, okay, Steve, you're going to do this, and Ken, you'll do that. And then, you know, I'd see Steve the next week in church and say, hey, Steve, um, remember at the elders meeting, you were going to do this, how's that going? And then, Ken, um, do you need any help? You know, I'm not bothering them, but just reminding them that I'm kind of uh, leading them, um, helping them, and managing their activities. Third, you need to make decisions. Steve would come back to me on this second Sunday. Remember, he had you'd have four Sundays before our next meeting. So the second Sunday, he said, hey, uh, we came into this and we need to make a decision about this. So I'd say, okay, let's make a decision. And um, whenever I'd make decisions, I used to always make it a habit that the people who make decisions are the people who are closest to the situation. For example, I used to think it was really dumb for the men, for the deacons, uh, elders over here, deacons over here, and we come back and we meet and, and then we share and find out what's been going on. The deacons would say, well, we've been talking about the nursery and then they would tell me their plans and I'd say, so what did the ladies say? Well, we haven't checked with them yet. I'd say, well, the nursery, they really understand it. They're right there. They're the ones um, who we should really get input from. Same thing like with Awana. What did the Awana commander, what did the Awana leaders say? Now, same thing like deacons. Uh, the elders are over here, and they'd be talking. they say, well, what are the deacons? They're the ones that are closest to this situation. So the people closest to the situation, closest to um, the, um, the conditions that need to be addressed or changed, they're the ones I like to see especially make decisions or if it's my decision to make I don't make it alone I get those other people and I get their information and then together we make a decision four you coordinate activities and resources you just start that's all part of leading you're coordinating you have to have your hands on and help coordinate and communicate communication is so important um, there's four bullet points there What's the purpose of the communication? In other words, what are you trying to accomplish with a bulletin announcement or by uh, someone standing in the pulpit saying something or by the little 30 to one, uh, 60 second video that's going to run before the service? What's the purpose of the communication? How much are you going to say? Because sometimes you don't want to say too much. You ask or you, you bring up too much and uh, too many questions are asked before you're able to answer them so, um, how much are you going to say? And thirdly, to whom are you planning to say it? Do you have to tell the whole church? Can you just tell the deacons? Can you just tell the Awana commander? Do you need to tell the whole Awana leadership team? Uh, do, you, uh, do you talk to the VBS people? Stuff like that. So, to whom are you going to communicate? And then fourthly, when? When do you say it? Um, so, points about communication, that's all part of leading. And then... There's going to be criticism that undoubtedly arises. I'll talk a little bit about that in just a few minutes. Just recognize it's going to happen. And uh, don't, don't always see people just asking legitimate questions as critics. They ask a question, and don't, don't get defensive. Say something like, hey, you know, that's a really good question. Here's when we thought about it. This is what, how we, we looked at it. So develop the art of tact. Be tactful as you talk to people. Um, so as you uh, have, have questions, answer them um, in the same 
uh, with the same idea with their ask because that they're asked because not everyone's asking a question with a an edge to it or a, or a point to it trying to harm you or or get at you maybe that some are that's another story but many people are just asking questions and sometimes the way they ask is uh, oh it seems kind of aggressive maybe they're from I don't know forgive me for saying this but maybe they're from the east east coast where they just talk a lot more directly than we in the Midwest talked when I grew up and so uh, now but they're not, they're not trying to harm you. They're just asking a question. So, you know, don't, don't see it as challenge. Just answer their questions. But um, you're going to have questions, and you, may, and you probably also have critics, criticism. Um, recognize it's going to happen. Um, then also about leading, you need to lead the inevitable surprises and challenges that you're going to encounter. Um, and there are going to be surprises, and there will be challenges. And don't get all upset. Because that's where you learn um, who um, is uh, the, the, the one with the good ideas and the people that you can listen to because the challenges are going to come up and you're going to say, wow, we need, we have all this input now. Who are we going to listen to? And also, more importantly, it's where they will gain more trust in you. If you handle this uh, trouble or this challenge in a good way, in a, an effective way, in a helpful way, people, when it's over, say, you know, pastor really handled that well. And you'll earn more trust. And then pray fervently. Trust God as you're leading. So planning, organizing, leading, and now monitoring. Monitoring in the sense you're always monitoring. You're always keeping track of the progress and what's going on, measuring making sure things are happening. Um, and that's all part of uh, executing the plan. That's all part of implementing the vision. You've already done all the planning and organizing. Now you're leading the process, and then you keep tabs on it, and you're monitoring. Um, you also carefully oversee the income and expenses involved. Don't overspend. Don't, don't run up a bill. If you said, if I said that, that uh, wall that we're going to remove the paneling, that's going to be free, and then we're going to need uh, three gallons of paint and two gallons of primer, and you have a price on that. Some guys told me how much we'd need, so they told me that. And then the man who was doing all the sanding, he was free, so I said, this project is going to cost us 120 bucks. And uh, don't come in at 500. Don't surprise people that way, uh, but rather, Part of planning is uh, you have these, this uh, estimate uh, w well in hand, and part of monitoring um, is making sure you're coming in um, at or under budget, so you carefully are overseeing income and expenditures. That's part of monitoring. And as you gather information, as you learn more, you must assess and evaluate the progress toward your goals. So the whole time you're monitoring, but in the ideas is towards the planning. What was the plan? And then you just adjust and you improve on the fly. Um, I love uh, sports. I love football. It's like the old uh, read and react. Um, the quarterback takes the ball. He sees what's happening on the defense. He reads it and then he reacts. That's what you have to do as a leader. And so uh, 
one, this Kubernetes is one who keeps a church on course to its proper destination. Planning, organizing, leading, monitoring to achieve the defined goals. That's where you started in the planning. What are we trying to accomplish? What are our goals? And it's in a local church. Um, This kind of uh, planning I'm not talking, this works in corporate world, but this is actually, uh, ultimately we're about the Lord's work and Kubernetes is the one who has been properly gifted, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, uh, to uh, steer or pilot the church in the church's uh, affairs, in church's administration. So um, that's a little bit there. So um, here we are back to the nautical image, and it's because of Kubernetes, um, the, uh, the one who pilots the ship. Here it is. The ship, let's pretend, is your church. And a bright horizon out in the front of the church, and you as a pastor are trying to chart your course. And uh, uh, so, uh, pull out the second handout that I have given to you, uh, helping your church think and act with strategic purpose. So, uh, um, there'll be some overlap in what we just talked about, but uh, um, I wanted to kind of give you both these documents. Um, I've introduced this document. Take a look. Many churches and ministry organizations are like sailboats without rudders, drifting along aimlessly in the currents of our postmodern cultural ocean. The answer is to clarify purpose. You revitalize a ministry by defining and acting on its fundamental purpose. Renewed vision can awaken a church organization. So you revitalize your church, your church ministry, by first off defining. And you don't want to jump into this the first two weeks you're at your new church. Spend some time gaining their trust. Spend time preaching the Word of God. Spend time getting to know them. But as they get to know you, they get to trust you. And then uh, the whole time behind the scenes talking with the elders, talking with the church leaders about uh, what's our purpose? Let's define that. And then, uh, then we act on that. Um, once you start uh, making sure the elders are with you, the church leaders, the church board, uh, they're with you, um, then you start acting. So um, let's take a look first off. Point one, prepare. What does God want? What does God want? Um, you can kind of see here in this document um, just the first question. As you begin to consciously and intentionally think about your church or ministry, you need to ask the most important question. What does God say about church ministry? What does He want churches to do? That's where you go through, preach the book of Acts, or preach through 1 Timothy, uh, preach those kinds of messages. What does God want for us? And so uh, you're preparing. The whole time you're preparing. You haven't done anything yet as far as acting, because truthfully, you get going too fast and they'll look at you like a horse and they'll run away. You'll scare them off. So, prepare. What does God want? Second, purpose. Why do we exist? Again, these are foundational questions. Identify the reason your church or ministry organization exists. It addresses two critical issues, identity and intentions. By answering this question, Who are you and what are you trying to do? 
If you can't answer why, then you're likely not going to be able to answer who, what, where, when, and how. And so uh, um, you need to be able to answer the why question. And again, this is what you're doing. When you first get into that ministry or um, after you've watched this, um, don't next Tuesday uh, say, okay, this is what we're going to do and start barking at them. Um, you're preparing them. What does God want? Purpose. Why do we exist? Again, taking a look at God's uh, book and what he says, why we exist. And then um, trying to answer this question, why? Then you come up with values. Uh, what's most important to us? The core values are the deepest and most passionate beliefs that drive you as a church or ministry. They form the culture of your church or organization. They identify what's most important to you. They dominate your decision-making, govern your priorities, and determine how you allocate your resources. Again, you're, you're taking a look at these values. And uh, again, I would suggest you take time with your leadership team long before you're going to spring anything on the whole congregation. Do the work of preparing and, and answering the question, why do we exist? Purpose. And then what's most important to us? Values. You might want to do this over a, 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 a leadership retreat. Even a retreat as simple as, um, I've, I've been at some of the most effective retreats, we're just on a Saturday. And we didn't go to church. We went to someone's living room where they had a really big living room, enough room for all the elders to sit around. And I set up, in the old days this was, I set up a, a whiteboard and we wrote things down and um, we came up with these answers to these questions. What does God want? Why do we exist? What's most important to us? And then you start to talk at the same time about this audit, the self-audit. What's the current condition of our church? And you start asking and assessing our direction. Um, how are we doing on what we say we want to do? Even taking a look, you might have stuff on the, on the web already on your website. Um, so assess your mission. The strategy. How has the church been attempting to accomplish its mission? Culture audit. How have things been done around here? And find out if everything always had to be decided, decided by Ralph. You know, every church has someone like that. You have an organizational chart, and you have the pastor, and the deacons, and the women's ministry, and children's ministry, and all the other ministries. And in the middle, a big circle, it says Ralph. Everything goes through Ralph. Well, I think you don't want to fight Ralph. And you don't want to tangle with him. You want to get him on your side. And the way you get Ralph on your side is by becoming friends. And maybe that's going to be difficult. Um, so you have to figure ways so that Ralph is not uh, confronted as if he's an enemy. Because typically Ralph has been there for 80 years and his dad built the building and his grandpa gave the land for the building. So you've got Ralph. And uh, work, work with Ralph. And um, try not to uh, make him like the enemy. Uh, but uh, you need to understand that's part of the culture of the church. So you have to work with it. Figure it out. Now, obstacles, people, organization, facilities, limitations, those kind of obstacles you're going to have to face. You're getting closer to starting to act. 
but you're just kind of taking a look at everything. And then spirituality, the level of spiritual maturity, the congregation defined by the leadership. Ask the leaders, if you're brand new, ask them, say, so where, where are we at as a church? And talk about their maturity. Talk about how they handle things. Um, some churches are just profoundly mature. They've had a tremendous um, leadership um, in their history and great Bible teaching, and they're mature, and others aren't. And so uh, take that uh, audit. Uh, another question about energy. High energy, are they really raring to go, or is it low energy? Um, emotions, are they encouraged, discouraged? Finances, is there appropriate uh, levels for anticipated giving? Do you need new funding to do something? Um, so you have to think about that. And the age, the age of the congregation, the age of the facilities, all of that's in the self-audit. The external audit is what's going on out there all around us. Uh, we're unique in this community. What, what's happening elsewhere? Um, and uh, take a look at uh, all the things um, in, in your area, in the place where your church is located. So uh, do an external audit. And now you're getting closer to uh, acting. Uh, you start coming up with a strategy. Who? It's going to do what, where, when, and how. And you're about ready to move. And you'll have a plan how to educate the congregation on the specifics of what you're going to do. And, uh, uh, and being able to move ahead. And so uh, um, what are you going to do? How are you going to implement things? So that's kind of why I gave you these two documents. Um, the one, the first one we looked at, planning, organizing, leading, and monitoring kind of combines with this one, um, strategy. So now, your strategy, and then you start executing the plan, and there's going to be contingencies. How do you handle not-so-pleasant surprises? You're going to face them. Opposition, conflict, troubles, financial shortfalls, changes of conditions, criticism, many other unpleasant surprises. You can't solve them ahead of time. Don't try to, otherwise you won't get anything done. But uh, you must anticipate there's going to be stormy seas. And then uh, part of what we said is monitoring. Here I point eight, evaluation. How are we doing? All the time uh, monitoring. Let's get a little more specific in these last uh, few minutes we have. There's a third document I've prepared for you. Um, it's Lessons in Leadership by Pastor Anthony Robinson. I've never met him. I don't know him. Um, he had this in a magazine, appeared 1999. I saw it years ago. I like this a lot. Ten lessons on leadership. Uh, just kind of walk through. Um, he says, uh, here are ten rules of leadership, more or less in the order I learned them. First, give responsibility back. Early in my ministry, I'd listen closely when people said, the church should be doing this, or the church ought to do that. And I would immediately uh, learn uh, to take these ideas and put them in my pastoral backpack. And so um, I found myself learning to say things like, that's an important need, all right. How do you think you can respond to it? Uh, sometimes he says, I'm not really interested in hearing what you think the church should be doing, but I'm interested in hearing what you believe God is calling you to do. However you want to put it, don't put this monkey on your back. 
and say, okay, I'll do it. So um, now you can see we're starting to get beyond uh, thinking and acting with strategic purposes, starting to think about charting your course and getting out, and as you get out, you're going to encounter stormy seas. Where are you headed? What should you do? And I'm just telling you that crises are where you gain respect. And so you gain respect as you face these challenges. And the first one is, what are you going to do, Pastor, about it? And don't assume all of these things as if it's you and you've got to do it all. Um, give responsibility back. Secondly, expect trouble. I've already been telling you about trouble. It might come in the form of Ralph, as I've talked about. Or you might have uh, uh, trouble of one sort or another. Um, and he explains a little bit of his troubles. We've all got them. They're all a little different, uh, but there's a lot of similarities. I'm just here to tell you that trouble can really be, um, in the end, a way where you're going to gain respect. Right? You're going to gain respect. One of my favorite pastors is, is now in heaven, IFCA pastor Bob Graves, out in Santa Rosa, California. <clears throat> and I can remember Bob telling me when I was a young pastor, I told him about some people who were really criticizing me, and he said, you know, Les, he said, look at, the cri at, at criticism as a potential to gain allies and to gain support. I said, well, what do you mean? How do you do that? He said, well, I had some people once, and after church, they told me, they said, Pastor, this is the last Sunday we're coming to this church. We're coming no more. We're leaving. We're going to a different church. And Bob, I said, how did you handle that? And Bob told me, I looked at him and I said, oh, I'm so sorry you feel that way. I, I feel so badly that my, I, I failed in my leadership with you. Would you please give me another chance? Would you, please, would you please stay and give me another chance? And they kind of, he said they went huffed, they, they huffed and made no answer and walked out. He said all week long it really bothered him. He was really sad. And the next Sunday, um, at his practice was to sit up on the platform and he was looking very specifically for that couple and he saw them. They're way in the back, but he saw them, and he was, he was happy. And the next week, same thing, in the back. And they'd leave right away. He couldn't see them. Um, they came in just as it started, and just as the benediction, they would leave. So he couldn't get them. But there they were. There they were. And uh, uh, finally, months, uh, several months passed, they stayed. And he happened to bump into them at the grocery store. You know how you can do that pushing your cart this way, they pushed their cart. And he saw them and he said, oh, hi, hey, how are you? They laughed and said hello. And he said, hey, I just wanted to um, ask you, you told me that you weren't going to come anymore, but I see you there every week. I'm really happy that you're there. And they looked at each other and kind of smiled and then looked at him and said, oh, pastor, we felt so badly after we told you that. The way you responded to us, it, it told us maybe we didn't, we weren't seeing you properly. 
And so we started watching. And Pastor, we're never going to leave. We love it here. We love you. See what happened? The crisis was where he earned their respect. Same thing for you. You can expect trouble, but in the midst of it, you can uh, gain respect. Thirdly, you value small steps. I've already talked about the small step of just taking... First of the small steps of that church was getting to know all the people and getting to be their friends and then working with the, with the leadership team that was there, the pastors who were already on staff when I came, and then also the, uh, uh, the men, the deacons at that time, they became elders later. Um, that's the name, though, they had deacons at the time. So the deacons, um, and then we just started talking strategically, and then we took small step, and the first step was that changing of that uh, uh, 16 by 24 front of the, of the auditorium. Just a small step. Plan. I've already been talking about that. Plan. Plan. Both long-range and also uh, annual calendar planning and all the rest. This is good stuff here. Take a look. Identify the vital few. Part of good planning is asking the question, number five, what are the vital few things we must do in order to get the job done? What's really critical? What are the few vital things that we need to be doing? And so identify the really most important things. Six, don't overvalue consensus, meaning everyone in agreement to do it. Um, you know, you, you don't overvalue consensus. Oh, you want people... The, sometimes what you do is, number seven, you count the yes votes. And what that means is, you take a vote, and you have 80% or 85% say yes. And so, you move ahead. But you, you take note of those who said no. And you don't throw it in their face. You don't stop because of them and say, okay, we didn't have a consensus, 100%. So, now you count the yes votes by using the people who said yes, and then you're also uh, trying uh, to get uh, allies and people uh, to join you. So maybe the 80% are moving and the 20% are, are hesitating. Work with them. Go to their homes. Go to Ralph's home at that time. And say, Ralph, this is what we all, oh, Pastor, I, I am not happy with this. And instead of saying, Ralph, it's either you or me. You say, Ralph, um, this is why we did it. And Ralph, 80% of the people voted. Well, I, I, I never would have voted that way. But Ralph, 80% voted that way. So, Ralph, we know that this, is, this church, the land is from your grandpa. The building was built by your dad, and you've been here all 80 years of your life. Ralph, you're valuable to us. Could you please just give us a chance? Give us a chance. Maybe it'll, it'll turn out well for you, and you'll see it. You'll like it. Well, and God willing, it will turn out well. Well, create a new working group for a new job. Find new people to help you if you can't get Ralph. You change by addition, not subtraction. Don't go start taking away things, but rather um, add some things and let the things that aren't doing so well kind of just gradually fade out by a death of their own. And then 10th, be persistent. Change, no matter how much needed or valid the motivation, happens slowly and always engenders resistance. 
So, here we come to the close as we talk about charting your course and leading with godly wisdom even when things are rough. So whether they're calm seas or stormy seas, wisdom is needed to chart the course toward becoming a thriving church so that you're more than just a bunch of statements on a website. Some churches don't have even that. But many have that. But now what do you do? How do you implement? How do you become a thriving church? The question of corporate vision is so crucial. How do we work together? May God help us to accomplish His purposes. Thanks so much for visiting. Thanks for viewing. God bless you.